Pizza No Heart by Denver Day, Book 2, Chapter 11. Southbound Sock Hop. Corner Thompson Road with Detective Thompson on the way back to Tacoma, giving Smith more time in his normal state, alone, to consider recent developments in the matter at hand. Janice Allison would arrive in Tacoma today for the next day's funeral, adding a dynamic to the Foster Wilson duo that might make the couple more readable. They were parties of interest in this case for a number of reasons. Significant involvement with Santos, position to know things about Santos's world, and really the only people of whom to ask questions, now that the smoke had cleared, so to speak. But they were clean, unreadable, busy professionally. So, busy worrying, burying Santos, among other things, Smith thought, and he could smell something on them. He thought it was sex, elitist brown leather kink that he sensed rather than violence. But the two can smell the same and sometimes they are one and the same. And th this was, after all, a homicide investigation the detective considered. He was uncertain regarding the level of credence and relevance with which to consider Olympia's shark situation. The axe on the big fish seemed like a clear taunt Conversely, Smith was confident, however, that the one animal inside of the dead shark was unsolvable nonsense, just like the ones up at the Pierce County coroner's office that Thompson had been bagging. Aside from the fact that it was pretty much open season on those things, they seemed to be of no forensic value in and of themselves, inasmuch as they were a true crime only unto themselves, and of course in very real ways to their victims, but they seemed to warrant no further explanation because one seemed not to exist for them. Their existence contained no true meaning. Empty vessels. Deadly empty vessels. Unexplainable, yes. Logically meaningful, no. But dangerous, quite so. Relevant only as placeholders and things to avoid. But that axe in the shark might be a light in the otherwise bottomless fog of warm animals. Unlike the furries, the proper origins of that piece of hardware might be traceable, might lead to a normal, secular, non-haunted, non-zombie person of interest, possibly a suspect or some other helpful forensic pathways that might cross other relevant logical paths, lighting them on their way or not. It was just one wet axe, he thought, pretty tenuous, but down inside, Smith felt like it was probably the same axe used in the Wells homicide, considering the proximity to the scene of her murder, both by clock and by walk. Most probably not a coincidence, he felt sure. Even if the axe couldn't be traced, and it probably couldn't be, it was still a piece of hard evidence in hand. Generally, evidence was pretty slim for both the Santos and Wells cases. Each of them left behind a group of distracted yet innocent musicians, each left behind a shine of personality, lifestyle that were also not conducive to axe murder investigations. They were nice gals and so there was no fish in a barrel ease in finding suspects in their wakes. There were no scumbags, myth mold, populating either woman's life. He ate lunch at his desk. That afternoon he went to the hotel where Santos' band was the lounge act and met with the back of the house manager whose duties included staffing the bar and booking the live acts. He had met with this man once before and was well due for a follow-up. The man said that band was still playing regularly and there was still significant foot traffic from the nearby diddler on the roof nightclub. 
and a solid flow of life insurance, encyclopedia, and vacuum cleaner salesmen coming on and off the interstate. But he gave no new insight regarding who were and who weren't Axe murderers. Smith mentioned that Santos' funeral would be the following morning, of which the man said he was already aware. Smith further mentioned that the rights would significantly involve Kelly Sammy's tavern, and he mentioned that the boundaries, rather the bandmates, of the other girl whom was killed with an axe last weekend, down in Olympia, Catherine Wells, would probably be all around looking for common denominators. You guys should, must be shorthanded down at the station if you're soliciting volunteer work from a punk band and bar manager, he said. It takes a village, Smith answered, with a little glow of idealism. This is our town, and we all have to live here. No? At about 10 p.m., Smith, sitting in his boxers, watching sports news, took a call from Lieutenant McKinney. Thompson's cleaning up a scene at a filling station at I-5 and, and State Highway 512. He wants you down there. Okay, on my way. Did he say what he's got? Smith answered. More sharks, I think, McKinney said. The staff on scene had already taped off the station, closed it for business for the rest of the night, so investigation could be done, and also so the blood and guts could be mopped up. Smith arrived at 10.30 and Thompson briefed him. There are no witnesses, as far as we know. The clerk is dead. Nobody, well, no other human buddies were found. And whoever called it into the city's dispatch might have seen it all go down, but they didn't hang around and wait, and I don't blame them. Sheriff's deputies were loading up the headless clerk. The two detectives stepped over the crime scene tape and walked into the store station. The clerk's head had most likely been bitten off by a shark, a few of which were laying on the store's floor that was slick with biomass. Flotsam and jetsam, the clerk had put several buckshot loads into one shark, that was obvious by the condition of one of the shark carcasses. One of the other sharks must have, in reciprocation, navigated over and bit the clerk's head clean off. How are these things moving about out of water, Smith mused gently. How these fuckers can move around on land is a mystery to me, Thompson grumbled. Here are the two other dead sharks, dead by means other than shotgun, that is, both apparently beaten shitless by this wolf lady, he pointed, with a baseball bat. And they are hanging halfway out of one of the dead sharks, not the shark from the buckshot. Was one dead ex-baseball bat-wielding one animal, apparently one of the chino beavers who survived Saturday night's disaster. Well, get these sharks packed up too, Smith said to one of the deputies. We'll have corner, cut them open, and find out what else they've been eating. 